Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. This week's episode is sponsored by the fun, fact-filled magazine, The Week Junior. Remember when you were a kid and you thought, I can't wait to be an adult and then I will know everything? Obviously, that didn't pan out. But The Week Junior can help the young people in your life make sense of the world. The Week Junior is the current affairs magazine for 8 to 14-year-olds. Its pages are packed with the latest news, animals, nature, science, books, sport, technology, films, recipes and puzzles to stimulate and inform those curious minds. It might even give you some help working out what the hell is going on. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. Em, how are you? Well, Annabelle, I'm absolutely fine, but I had quite a lot of hair cut off uh, just before lockdown and it has hardly grown back. And I feel like I'm basically going to be stuck with a mum bob for the rest of my life. And that, that is it. I've had my period of long flowing. I mean, I, they were never really long and flowing, but I've had long hair. But now my hair has sort of given up. <laughs> this is just going to get wispier and thinner and just permanently sort of just nearly graze my shoulders. And I don't really know how I feel about that. Anyway, how are you, my darling? Yes, because if it stopped growing, it begs the question, what happens now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thinning. <laughs> Thinning. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm absolutely fine, but uh, now that I'm slightly reluctantly starting to see people again, I'm having to deal not only with my own paranoia and judgment and anxiety, but with, um, with theirs as well. And I don't want theirs. My madness had me at capacity. Um, and, and now I lie awake at night worrying about other people's conspiracy theories as well. But it's fine because uh, here's someone who's going to make it all worse. Today's <laughs> guest was uh, the first solo man ever to darken the door of this podcast. After all, it was the day after the election and we were looking at what he called a period of grim stability. And then came 2020. <laughs> grim, certainly. Stable, not so much. So now we've got Hugo Rifkind back to deal with all the news, because maybe he knows something we don't. He is, of course, the most brilliant columnist and political satirist in town. And now he has his own radio show with Times Radio, unpacking the news on Saturday mornings. Welcome back, Hugo. How are you? I was going to say I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm absolutely fine. Except I'm, I'm a bit cold. Do you find you're a bit cold? It's July, but it's weirdly cold. It's hard, it's hard to answer, because by the time I finish the sentence that says I'm a bit cold, I'm boiling. <laughs> so, you know, there's, 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 it's emotionally, it's similar. There is no regulation. <laughs> Emily listened to your radio show on Saturday and, and then returned from enjoying it absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> of what? Of me? Well, not of you, darling, but Tom Whipple, the science editor of The Times, was talking about all the different sort of catastrophes and disasters that he'd sort of written about over the years and how, you know, the, yeah. the pandemic, a, a pandemic, corona is the one that's stuck, but we're still waiting for the possibilities of space weather, asteroids, the supernova and super volcanoes. So I thought, fuck me. I suppose the point, the point is that these things are always looming and, and they haven't happened. So it might be we might think they just haven't happened yet, or we might think we're just incredibly unfortunate that this one actually did happen. It's why no one could quite believe that this, the thing that is happening, would ever happen because we're so used to we, we're so used to the apocalypse not happening. Mm. I I thought space weather was the thing that particularly terrified me because it sounds like a sort of 
like a totally science fiction thing, but it is basically yeah. electromagnetic storms that would just take away our communications or whatever, and wow. and then and asteroids and yeah, so relaxing. It's like a mixture between hailstones and aliens. <laughs> yes, exactly. That does sound grim. <laughs> Aliens. That's all we need. Um, is, is your experience as a, as a as a columnist and as a satirist very different during a like a crazy time like this? Yes. Is it hard to strike the balance between funny and serious and meaningful and meaningless? And how does it affect the way that you work and the way that you're thinking about your work? Oh, it's awful. I mean, it's not you know, it's not like awful as in like working on a COVID ward awful, but it's um, it, particularly at the beginning, it was really difficult because you. I was suddenly really, really well. From from a satire point of view, I was really, really unsure about the ethics of taking the piss out of the government, because while I'm not as anyone who heard me on your podcast last time would know, I'm not a massive fan of this government and and all their their ways and works. But um, but they were there holding the can, and I was very struck by the sort of massive fragility of, you know, civilization itself and the fact that basically the the thin line between us and chaos was Matt Hancock. <laughs> and, uh, and that's alarming enough without without me doing without me doing my bit in a Saturday column to make it even worse. So I mean that I find really I find it really difficult to know what to take the piss off. And as a as a columnist, um, the problem is sort of is sort of weirder in that you just it's like because I normally like in, in normal life I go into the office a couple of days a week and I kind of rub shoulders with clever and important people and um and it seems. Not, com- I mean, a little absurd, but not completely absurd that people like might ask me what I think about things, particularly when I'm writing editorials, for example. Whereas during the pandemic, because I've literally been sitting in this room that you can see me in now on Zoom, which is my attic in my house in Crouch End, I was just kind of like, why, why am I having a conversation with important people at the Times every day about coronavirus? Like they, they could call anyone. <laughs> I'm just some guy in an attic in Crouch End, you know. And it's this sort of strong and I think entirely justified sense of imposter syndrome about. Why do I even have any sort of voice at the moment when everything is democratized to the extent that we're all just suddenly people in houses again? And actually, I think that was clarity rather than panic. But I'm trying to suppress that clarity so I can go on being alive. <laughs> I think that's true. I think if everybody had this... Well, it's ex- hard enough to work out who you are. No, no, exactly exactly what I was going to say, that the idea that um, that without all the things that we normally judge ourselves or hold ourselves against... We are just basically people in houses, exactly, and then or flats, or yeah. and and so every kind of nuance is you basically feel like there must be more absolute right and wrong rather than the kind of the shades of grey, which is obviously where we all like to live, prefer to live anyway. And news itself has taken on a really odd quality. Um, I mean, I've never been particularly a conspiracy theorist, but this has been certainly for me the first time when I pretty much haven't believed anything I've seen or read. So, so that itself was very destabilising, apart from the reality. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like it's not a secret that the government has been saying things that aren't true. It's like they're almost, they're not even really, they haven't, I mean, it's, it, things have calmed down more lately, but they, they haven't always even been pretending they are true. You know, the kind of sort of the, the waffle about PPE and how many tests there are. But, you know, it's like, it's a performance. It's this sort of, um, it's this, when, when, I mean, for a long time when, when Hancock said, We've done X number of tests this week. You knew it was a performance, and the number, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like in 1984 when they talk about how many sort of boots have been made. You know, the number the, there is a number that exists, and it bears no relation to what's actually happening, and no one even thinks it does, and it almost doesn't matter at all. It's just about getting the next number out, out the next day. So that that's been a very very 
a very, very weird time to live through journalistically, yes. Yeah, I remember being horrified when I read about they'd given the numbers for how many, I think it was how many gloves, how many PPE gloves they delivered, but they hadn't done pairs. They were counting them in single gloves. And I just thought, <laughs> Was oh it an odd my number? Because that'd be even worse. Yeah, that, <laughs> yes, it would. And I just thought, oh my God, nothing is to be trusted. So I guess that's why we've all... Well, it's, it, no, by the way, like every, every test, every coronavirus test is in fact two tests. Yeah. Yes, because it's, it's nose and... And... So they counted as two tests. Yeah, and they and they added out a test for the, the figures if they for every one they posted out, even though it turns <laughs> out that three quarters of the ones they post out, no one sends back. And so, I mean, and all this, it's just yeah, it's just sort of mountains of bullshit to get through. And you think they're not even really doing it on purpose? It's just it's just how it functions. Yes, and sort of incompetence. And once you mm. once you once you got over your your sort of ethical crisis, did you warm up into it in terms of criticizing the government? No, it's still kind of difficult i mean once you know it's very cause like we're talking now in what july it's very hard to get your mind back to where it might have been in march it's certainly quite hard for me to get my mind back to where it was in march but in march i without wanting to be too melodramatic about it i thought everything was fucked you know i thought like in a kind of i mean i thought um I thought civilization itself was going to be clinging on. You know, I thought there wasn't really going to be functioning government for a period. Mm-hmm. And I thought social unrest was going to be way worse than it has been so far. And that, you know, hospitals were going to collapse and etc. you know. And so in a way that hasn't happened. Like, I mean, you know, we kind of, things are relatively stable now, just awful, you know, not in the same stable and awful way that I thought they were going to be last time we spoke. But, <laughs> you know, sta- stable stable, and awful. There are lots of furloughed people. They all, it's, it, There's going to be a huge amount of unemployment and stuff. I don't think we still really think that the fabric of society itself is going to kind of get ripped asunder by, by a terrible catastrophe. And so the better and more stable life gets the easier it is to take the bits out of the bits that are holding it up without worrying yeah. that you're going to be doing them terrible damage. Yeah. And now they have started seeing people again and dealing with their opinions. Disagreement seems to have taken on a new quality as well. You know, people feel, people, for example, felt incredibly strongly about staying in lockdown or coming out of lockdown. Mm. And, I, and I felt confused. So I wasn't really fighting either question, but I was almost unnerved by the violence of feeling that seemed to be everywhere suddenly. It felt much more like America. Well, I think it's it's a control thing, right? I mean, we've uh, one aspect of lockdown has been that we've all existed in very contained environments over which, well, we don't have absolute mastery because we might live with other people, but we have quite a lot of mastery. And we've also had very few demands on our time beyond the basics of feeding ourselves and perhaps looking after children and, and work and stuff. And so you're actually it's actually been a time, while confined to our houses, it's actually been a time of enormous freedom. Whereas now we have to sort of navigate around everybody else and so, well, we've been able to make the rules about what time we have breakfast and things like that. Now we have to care what other people think about big stuff like lockdown. And, and we've lost, mm. we're out of practice of the kind of negotiation that you have to do in, in life generally, I think. I think that's been one of the things that's been interesting about talking to children about, sort of my children, about being respectful of other people's uh, space and social distancing, but also of, of people's sort of anxieties around this mm. stuff. So, you know, we've definitely bumped into people in the park who felt sort of freer to run around and then others where, and we've, I've had to say to, the, to my girls, you know, not everybody feels the same way. Not everybody, you know, we just have to, however, how people are getting through, that is, you know, we have to respect that. Have you, um, yeah, have you, how yeah. have you? Oh, sure. I mean, you, and you, wor- you worry a bit that you're slightly brainwashing your kids in that you don't want them to you know when 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 you have a 
when you have an eight-year-old who's kind of excruciatingly aware of not getting within two meters of a stranger, you think, well, how long? Like, is that is that lifelong? You know, is that a is mm. that a is that a, a piece of just sort of you know social navigational damage that's just inflicted on that person now forever, or or what? Um, and yeah, uh, sort of. Uh, I mean, it's the balance of trying to explain to kids to explain to kids what's going on without ladling anxiety upon them. I, I mean, I, I, it does, I, it's something I think will only make sense of a long time from now. What the experience, the experience of parenting during lockdown has been sort of like unprecedented. Yeah. You know, it's not to say worse things haven't happened. Just the nature of this one's been unprecedented. I remember again, we're talking about back in March, back in March, if you'd said to me, they won't really go to school again until September. And even then that'll, that'll still be in doubt. September will still be in doubt when you get to July. You've just been. That's just that's impossible. I mean, that's just that's just nonsense. That that, that doesn't compute. Whereas now, whereas you learn to factor it in and accommodate it. I feel like we were all sort of naive and younger back in March. You know, we shot into lockdown, and I think we all thought that then we would it would just be over. It didn't cross my mind. Oh, no, no, I would, didn't. It, did you not think that? What did you think? No, I thought it, I thought it was going to be grinding and long and 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 terrible. But what I didn't anticipate was that it just is that you just do it. You know that actually. July does come around yeah. and you haven't just sort of exploded in the sheer impossibility of the situation. You've just gone by day by day, making a lot of pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the boringness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although, although I found that the one thing that I did find was that for the first time ever um, is I noticed the seasons, you know, I, I stopped, I noticed birds right. and trees and flowers and, you know, and spring, really. I sort of lived a spring rather than just, you know, commuting my way around a spring. So, but it, with kids, it's hard to know how much they need to know. How much of a disservice are you doing them if you tell them too much or if you tell them too little? Yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what their perspective of, of it all is. You know, when, I mean, my kids are small now, but speaking to them when they're 16 about what they remember about now and what they remember about, whether they remember that it is being just these sort of nightmare neurotic parents like whether we turn into a joke how we behave just this sort of lasting joke god you're like a lock you're like a lockdown parent you know or whether in fact when our kids are of parent age they'll look back to now and be like my god how the hell did you do that yeah. you know or maybe or maybe not you know it's just it's impossible to quantify the level of your own achievement you know maybe it's non-existent and also whether they'll look back on what's happening in the world now as the beginning because they're all quite young as their beginning of their reality because it's going to kick off all these seismic changes we think and whether for them this will sort of be where it all began and our memories will seem everything that happened before will seem genuinely prehistoric yeah well that's possible i mean i i think um i, I mean well i'm sort of short-term pessimistic i do think i think in a couple of years life will be pretty normal do you think so? You know, I don't I don't really take the kind of like this is the society cliff edge view forever anymore. I think I mean, I think the next I think this coming winter is going to be pretty grim for health reasons and other reasons. But um, come the middle of next year, when presumably there is look by the middle of next year, either there's a vaccine or we know there isn't going to be a vaccine. And then you make really, really intelligent choices about what you do to to limit it and stamp it out and stuff. And so I do I do see normality coming back eventually. You know, we will. We will be able to we will be able to sit on each other's sofas again. You know, it will happen. Mm. Um, so I, I so I don't I don't quite think of it as being that period of life is over now. But maybe it's just because I can't quite bear to. I don't know. A lot of it I don't miss. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you know the 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 idea of sort of you know putting on a sort of tight dress on a Tuesday night and high heels to drive forty five minutes to go somewhere expensive to have dinner with people at eight forty five feels insane. I didn't often do that. <laughs> oh well, there's always time. And lockdown will have spawned all sorts of spicy new habits and all sorts of people, I reckon. Yeah, and no, I'm sure. I mean, I I miss I'd miss like um I miss things like pubs a lot. I miss you know sort of parties in people's yeah. houses like not having not having festivals this year you know like glastonbury is a big fixture for me the absence of that this year was um was more emotionally difficult than i'm a bit embarrassed even even to say how emotionally difficult it was but it was quite difficult just not having that kind of sort of end of june blowout that has been such a fixture in my life for quite a long time but you know other people will feel that way about wimbledon and other people yeah. will feel that way about football. And what it, and, and what it adds up to for me, because I'm not very into Glastonbury or Wimbledon or football or cricket or anything <laughs> involving the general public and lots of people, is um, <laughs> it's just a quite quite a blank landscape, quite a blank cultural landscape. So you sort of, you know, yeah. look out of the metaphorical window and what do you see? You see, you know, the threat of space weather. <laughs> I mean, I have never been to Glastonbury and have no plans to go, but I always watch it on television and it always introduces me to something that I didn't know before. And so I totally agree with you, Annabelle, even in the absence of, of it happening, I feel like osmos- by osmosis, I haven't absorbed any anything new. I think that's what, and we've been clinging on to tiny things. I'm driving Annabelle mad because basically almost everything I say now goes in the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, <laughs> because that is basically my only frame of reference beyond my four walls at the moment, you know, um, because yes, Emily's got through lockdown with Michael Jordan and TikTok. And I've got right. through lockdown by feeling worse and worse and worse by drilling down deep, deep, deep into American politics. All I read wow. is stuff about Trump. And I, you know, I'm obsessed with basically where he is on any given day and what he's doing. And it, it, I need to find a new hobby. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, anything better awful. than that. Awful. Yeah. I had a sex dream about Donald Trump, which is just a terrible wow. thing that shows how obsessed I am. Jesus. I know, I know. It's not. Well, Can do you, you think tell he'll us win? more about this? No, I want to hear. I want to hear about your Donald Trump sex dream. <laughs> okay, just I, the I, basics. I, what were the, 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 what, the, what were the furniture and fittings like? I suddenly feel really problem, uncomfortable. <laughs> the main problem with my Donald Trump sex dream was that it was sensational, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. I like this silence. No, I was just, I was, it was just it was just the silence of awkwardness of your Donald Trump sex dream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the worst thing that happened in lockdown to you, Hugo, which was your dishwasher breaking. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! Forget the pandemic. Yes, no. I mean, I mean I did, someone came around to fix. Someone came around to fix it this morning, so we now have a dishwasher, which I found uh, as a, a, at least as arousing as a Donald Trump sex dream. How long did you not have a dishwasher for? Two and a half weeks. Can you oh, imagine? Punchy. Yeah, and actually, all that was wrong with it in the end, it turned out that in the in the the extraction pump, which is a bit round the back and underneath, there was a bit of broken glass jammed in it. So, 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 so I mean, I, I couldn't have done it myself, but next time I think I'd, I'd know how to. Which probably, that's quite arousing as well, isn't it? The idea that you could just fix your own dishwasher. Oh, I love fixing stuff. I love fixing stuff. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fixer of broken electronics. So I was quite upset that I couldn't, that I couldn't figure out what was wrong with the dishwasher. But that's because that's because I just didn't know what to Google. I once fixed the heating using a YouTube video. Um, right. I was 
so hot and sort of distressed. And I think it's about four in the morning. It was sort of the year of the insomnia. And I remember being in my bra and pants trying to, trying to, trying to fix the heating with a YouTube video. And, and, I, and I fixed it. And it was fixed for a whole 12 hours or so after that. <laughs> And then Donald so Trump was... turned up. <laughs> we were all thinking it. And then in, in walked Donald. I know, I can't believe I've even admitted to that. It's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a disaster. Have, um, has the way that you've consumed news changed during this weird time? Yes, I mean, I'm sort of, uh, so what was weird at the start of it all was that some people had nothing to do and some people had far more than normal to do because some people, you know, their work was falling apart and their lives were falling apart and they were sent home to go and sit on the sofa for the next four months. And that that's dreadful. That was not my experience in that I was working full time just now at home. And there were also kids and Fran, my wife was working full time as well. And there was just a huge amount of everything, everything to do. Uh, and, but what my day involved doing during that period was in every spare moment being upstairs sitting at my computer reading about coronavirus because I was writing about coronavirus and I was following every, every single last bit. And so I think what most people were doing to stay sane, which was, you know what, I'm just not reading the news right now. Uh, that was just not an option <laughs> because you can't write editorials in a newspaper if you're not reading the news. So I was absolutely living every beat of it for a bit. And so I became and remain probably even more obsessive in my news consumption than I was beforehand. I haven't read a novel in, in, in ages. You know, all I read now is news. And did that make you anxious? Did that feed into your anxiety or did it? Or oh, were, yes. you, were you able to separate? No, 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 no. It was, uh, I, I mean, it's, anxious is sort of the wrong word because it's, um, I don't know, anxious implies a degree of unreality about it and also uh, temporariness, if you see what I mean. No, it made me mm. sort of, sort of very calmly and clear-sightedly despairing. I would say, um, rather than rather than, I mean, I'd certainly uh, anxiety is, is is a part of it, but I don't think that I don't, I don't think that's with I don't think that led to anxiety. That just led to a kind of sort of a, a bleak. Wow, this is awful. This is every single waking moment. This is awful, kind of thing. You know, nothing is coming to make this better. It is awful, which isn't quite anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I think I realised that I needed to talk to my child about the news when I realised that he was feeling anxious. I, you know, I'd mm -hmm. sort of, I'd sort of pretended that I could protect him, and he wouldn't realise because he was only five until he said, "I think that the coronavirus is going to be the end of people, Mama." Wow. And I thought, okay, we probably have to start having some conversations <laughs> about this now. I yeah. need to stop trying to, you know, to put a total whitewash over everything. Um, and mm -hmm. start talking to him about it. So then we did start talking to him about it. I mean, he was, he's too young to really consume anything except through me and his father. But yeah, we tried. Mm. Yeah, We felt the same way as well with, um, with Black Lives Matter, of course, that you were suddenly in a, in a situation where you had to have difficult conversations, not only about kind of, you know, viruses that are going to come and kill uh, everybody, but also, you know, people who kill people for, for reasons that are kind of, you know, beyond, you know, my understanding. And then to have to sit and explain to my children that this was happening out there and that we somehow are, you know, implicated and that we have to work really hard to change things. And um, yeah, it's been a lot, hasn't it? It's been a lot. There's been a lot of news. There's been a lot of, 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 of things to sit and watch and digest or and you know things that I really didn't want to look at but that you have to you have to look at in order to kind of you know to to try and change things it's been yeah it's been a lot I mean also you've got you've got nothing else I mean because if you're confined in your home just with the people who are immediately with you then then the the news is basically it's your window to the outside world 
Uh, and so I think a lot of the, a lot of the um, the fierce responses to the news you were talking about before that people have, it's partly because it's all it's all they've got. No one's really got. I mean, no one's got sort of broader friendship dramas going on. You know, it's like no one's got sort of mm. you know I don't know like nagging fights with their aunt about X or Y or Z or whatever. You know, so you mm. just all that emotional energy just gets inve- invested straight into the straight into the news that's kind of sort of getting, getting piped into your screen, I think. Speaking of which, um, Hugo, this is cheerful. Where do you think that we are on Brexit? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I remember Brexit. Brexit's the, that thing that we used to, yeah. used to think was, was really Remember important. him, our old friend? Um, I think we are, we're probably pretty close to some kind of brexit deal to, to, to do the Brexit, to make the Brexit be... Be fully Brexit and be 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 all Brexited. Boris Johnson's facing a hell of a legacy, isn't he? I mean, you know, the yeah. idea of you know unnecessary deaths of tens of thousands of people, a no deal Brexit. Um, and there's loads of other stuff that escapes me now. But it's it's it's. I read something that said um, that they they thought that Boris Johnson um, was determined to become prime minister and really wanted to have been prime minister, but the bit in the middle. Uh, it was Marina Hyde. That was it. It was Marina Hyde. It was Marina Hyde. Yeah, that, it was a perfect observation as so many of us are. No, I don't think, I don't think we'll get a, I don't think we'll get no deal. I think it's much, it's much easier for them to get a deal now because, because it's less important. So, um, you know, any, any sort of deal he can probably get through the commons because um, the big existential issue is no longer Brexit. The big existential issue is now literally existential. Yeah. Or it is whether or not you can drive to test your eyesight. I yes. mean, you know, that is the question. <laughs> yes, that is. Uh, yeah. I mean, can, can, I, I haven't. Maybe I should. No, I don't know. Yeah. I, I quite like the idea of adopting that as a kind of, you know, what you do for just sort of doing the doing the thing you shouldn't do is, is have a drive to Barnard Castle. It's like, you know, it's like we shouldn't. Yeah, it's like, well, we shouldn't go to the pub, but let's have a drive to Barnard Castle, you know. <laughs> well, I you agree. Know. I think that should be should be part of the vernacular. Yeah. But the way that we think and feel about Brexit has been really deoxygenated, hasn't it? I mean, pardon that yeah. terrible pun. But, you know, we, I, I, find, I just don't really care. No, it's... Well, it's Having it's, cared so desperately and felt it was so wrong. It's very hard to. I mean, on one, on one level, it's kind of like, so, you know, if... If the economy is already this incredibly screwed, then what's what's a bit more, you know? Um, you know, to, you know, there's already there's already so much damage that there's a limit to how how damage it could be. But also, you know, the fight the fights happened, the fights happened and and, yeah. and been and been lost, and um and it's also it's just not what our politics is about now. Like I think I I still think for the next for the foreseeable future, all politics really is is coronavirus and how you deal with it. Yeah, and and even by the time of the next election. Which is quite a while while away. I don't think we'll have really politically put it behind us. The kind of the the political slogan of "Who do you want to be in charge if this happens again?" is going to be very powerful for, I mean, the half a generation. I'd have thought, and that doesn't really do Boris Johnson any favours. I don't think. Do you think as well the fact that we actually went into lockdown and our borders closed and we became sort of you know the the small island that we that we accuse the Brexiteers of wanting us to be yes exactly meant that 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 exactly no one's got the energy for it for the fight because it sort of happened it shut down and 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 that's it what the fuck is freedom of movement remember that yeah you know know, (laughs) so what were we arguing about again yeah but freedom of movement I I can't even go to Scotland I mean come on 
Um, so, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I mean, to all those, you know, that kind of thing. And I mean, we are also entering a world of, I think, increasing um, nationalism in, I mean, across across Europe, you know, national borders becoming more important, national considerations becoming more important. It's not always that unreasonable, you know, in, the, in a pandemic, the first thing you, the first thing governments do is think about their own people and then, you know, uh, and so, I mean, the, the EU has not had a fantastic pandemic, really. You know, it hasn't, the EU has at no point considered the pandemic to be an EU-wide an EU problem. You've never really heard noises coming out of Germany saying what's happening in Spain is our problem, you know. So um, so I guess the, the the whole institution of the EU as itself, rather than just what membership of it means to us, now it all just feels a bit different, you know. It, it, it feels like very much the, the pre-pandemic world. Yeah, and I certainly haven't talked to my kid about Brexit. No, no. I mean, my, my I mean, my my kids being being German are, are still relatively angry about Brexit, but um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't crop up like it did. Let's say. And then now we're entering into the because schools are going to break up soon into the sort of politics of the summer holiday. I mean, I don't think many people are going to be posting, you know, you know, Mediterranean swimming pool shots on their Instagram feeds because you know there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a tension around that, isn't there? Where are you going? What are you doing? What yeah. risks are you taking? Well, I mean, we're, yeah, we're certainly hoping to um, to get to Germany, uh, where my where my, my my wife's family have a have a house, uh, and I hope, yeah, very much hope we get there. But um, I'm in sort of slightly two minds about what will, will the Germans actually want us there with our you know number plate from our leper island. Um, you know, what's it what's it going to be like being British in Europe, and also just the kind of is it going to be particularly relaxing to be anywhere you know if people are going oh, i'm desperate to get to get to the beaches and it's like really you're going to get there and you're going to be just as stressed as you are at home but just not at home you know and you're going to have the same issues in the bars there as you have in the bars here and you've got to go and sort of i don't know sort of put on a mask to go to the spanish supermarket instead and it's not i think you're right i think it's going to be a question of so be careful what you wish for you wish for the wide open space then you get there yeah. you know and panic it's instinctive to think, the instinct is to think if you're having a holiday, you're having a holiday from all this, but you're not having a holiday from all this. You're just having all this somewhere else. And there are good things about that, but there are also bad things about it, yeah. So, Hugo, if you, if you, so what, what do you think is, in terms of sort of, of sort of morale and the way that things are being reported, do you have any way, I mean, this is very, this is a weird question, to sort of predict how the autumn might look, how September to, September to Christmas might pan out? Do you think it'll be regional lockdowns? mass redundancies, you know, relentless horror? Or do you think that, there, that, that things will start to even out and people will start to feel more optimistic and consume the world in a more meaningful way? No, I think it'll be quite bad, but not awfully bad. I think the, um, I think there will be, there'll be a lot of, well, firstly, economically, there'll be, there will be mass, massive redundancies, but I don't think they'll be quite as bad as we've been prepared for them to be. But we're still talking, you know, huge. So that's going to be that's going to be a problem, um, but then the I mean the economic picture is really 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 weird because a lot of people have still got quite a lot of money. Just a lot of people have got no money. You know, normally when when the economy takes a slide, it does it. It doesn't do it equally for everybody, but the the dip affects everybody. Whereas now, some I mean, a lot of households are better off after lockdown, and a lot of households are much much poorer. And there's there's new divisions among people who were formerly of the same socioeconomic status, and so that's all that's all really really weird, and so that all plays out in quite strange ways, I think, in October, where you you, you basically have bits of the bits of the impoverished, active, newly impoverished, impoverished and very politically active middle classes, freelancers, for example, making a hell of a fuss mm -hmm. and rightly freelancers, the performing arts, that kind of stuff, 
uh, has will have a new sort of political salience. In terms of like lockdown, yeah, I think there'll be local lockdowns. I think, uh, I mean, it, it's still possible that we get like, the, you know, the vaccine suddenly turns up in October, like Oxford keeps saying it would. But even then, we're not all going to get it then. And I think it's virtually impossible we don't have some kind of infectious spike going into the winter. So I think it's pretty possible that, yeah, September through January is just just not that nice at all. I don't think it'll be... Um, I don't think it'll be existentially terrifying in the same way that March was, mm. uh, but I think it'll be—I think it'll be pretty grim. I might be wrong, you know. It might just sort of fizzle away like Donald Trump's does it will, but I don't think. So. No, I sense—I sense that there will be there'll be there'll be more grind, and there, and I think there's a there's a massive mental health crisis in the post as yeah, this all starts sure. to settle. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been parking that, and a lot of people who don't even realise. Well, because it's like our understanding of, uh, I mean, our understanding of mental health sort of has to change a bit because almost our definition of troubled mental health is about deviation from the norm. This is the normal way to behave and I'm not behaving like this. And so people struggling with anxiety during lockdown, it's been a very difficult business struggling with anxiety during lockdown because no one can tell you you're irrational. Your fears are totally rational. But by the same token, you can't, you don't have in the back of your mind the kind of like, I just need to be like everybody else thing that is normally the the the, the kind of you know the, the sort of the driving force for improving one's mental health because everybody else thinks it's exactly the same so rather than being a mental ill health it's just a sort of a, a shit stage of mental normal yeah a lot of very anxious people have said uh well you know welcome to my world now everyone feels the way that i do because you say it's yeah. been it's been it's been it's now the shit normal um, and it'll yeah. affect the way that we all relate to each other. I'm sure that, you know, when if we ever find ourselves at, you know, a dinner party again, there'll be a lot more shouting, quite a lot more tears. Um, mm-hmm. Because also I think people have slightly lost the ability to edit because we've all been just sitting in our lairs. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no there's no point to. I mean, it, it's, again, I, I sort of, you know, you'd have the daydream sometimes about what what it's like when it's all over, assuming it ever is all over, which I th- which I think it will be. And whether it is, whether we do just have like, you know, six months of absolute euphoria, you know, whether you come out of the, you come out of the, the appointment to get your vaccine and then you go clubbing or whatever, you know, or, or you know, if that does happen or if, uh, or if actually we've just sort of, just sort of behave a bit differently forever. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure which, yeah, which one of those. I quite like the idea of there being a sort of like massive V day party type thing. But I'm not quite sure when it happens. I think some people did it on Saturday. I think what it's done is it's challenged our sense of, of security, hasn't it? Right, right at the very core mm. of us, of, of what it is to feel safe in these very in this very sort of regulated yet exciting world that we lived in. Yes, yes, and because well, it does, it you know, there's there's literally nowhere to run, and you're not quite sure you want to run, and you're kind of all your. I mean, I'm a big I'm a big fan of like apocalypse fiction generally. You know, I love like zombie stuff and nuclear war stuff and all that kind of stuff. And none of it's like this, you know, because it's all sort of it's all sort of dramatic and uh, and exciting. And you kind of go, well, I just need to get to that. You know, you think, well, when that happens, I just need to get to that remote beach in the north of Scotland. And you're like, well, hang on, you can't do that now because I go to the remote beach in the north of Scotland and they're going to stone me to death for bringing them coronavirus. And I don't want to be there anyway. <laughs> so they've got they've got they've got no ICU beds. And, and I'll uh, run out of loo paper. And I'll run out. I'll run out. Yeah, I'll run out of loo paper, and I, I won't be able to zoom my dad. I, I just never appreciated the apocalypse would be this much of a fucking headache, you know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and, and words of wisdom from Hugo Rifkind, as ever. Uh, thank you for coming back. <laughs> We're going to make you come back again, probably at Christmas. 
Any time. Yeah, exactly. What you said has come true. Well, I mean, here's hoping I'm wrong again. <laughs> yes, it is to Hugo being wrong about everything. And thank you so much yeah. for coming to see us. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. I'm absolutely fine, listeners, can visit theweekjunior.co.uk forward slash the middle to try their first six issues of The Week Junior absolutely free with home delivery included. And if it's not for you, you can cancel any time after your trial. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Don't quit your daydream. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.